Good morning. How are we all doing? That bad? That bad? I'm always afraid to touch this mic as old as it is. Might be the end of it. Ah, Pentecost Sunday. I think um didn't grow up celebrating this, but um glad we do. And uh, have over the, I have personally over the last number of years. Uh, most of what the, at least my experience, most of what the Holy Spirit does seems to be really um, slow and internal. Um, but wow, I wouldn't mind if you wanted to show up in some unique ways today. Um, again, that'd probably be internal in ways that um, we may not get to measure or see. But I'm not sure there's a greater gift that God has given to us than His Spirit. Um, after Christ, of course. Um, it's a weird thing that um, Jeffrey alluded to that Jesus would literally say, it's good for me to leave <laughs> uh, so that the Spirit can come. And I've, I've tasted that in a couple different ways. I had a mentor um, when I was in my 20s who moved away, and I thought it was the end of things. <laughs> and it really was the beginning of things for me. Uh, it was necessary so that I would lean and trust on uh, the Holy Spirit. And I think after living in a town um, for 40 years, leaving was good for my son, who still lives there, in ways that um, I'm not sure he still believes, but it's been really good for him. At one point on the earth, Matthew's gospel, Jesus records, or Jesus says words that Matthew records, familiar words, right? Come to me, all you who are weary and troubled, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and anybody know the next phrase? Learn from me. What are we to learn? When I was in my doctoral program, we uh, circled up in a group. And one evening, five people in an inner circle, and the the guy, the director of the program, um, invited us to listen. It was a listening exercise. And so, you know, I was one of those guys when I was in high school and college where I never asked questions. I I had questions, but I never asked them because I didn't want to look stupid. So I was committed in this program. I'm raising my hand, so, you know, my hand goes up. And I said, what is it we're listening for? Because it seemed to me that with 24 people in the room, we all have a different idea of what it is that we're listening for. And this individual um, was offering a model of spiritual formation. And I wondered, is there something that we're listening for? In the same way, we're asking the question, what are we to learn from Jesus? Jesus says words that are familiar to us. Learn from me. And we all nod our heads. And then I go, what are we to learn? What is it that Jesus is teaching? Do the scriptures provide an answer to that question? Or are we simply to trust in some mystical process in which we learn? Yes. That's my answer. But in pondering this question, what are we to learn from Jesus? I stumbled on something that I want us to consider, and it's found in John's Gospel. When I, I have two kids, and when they were leaving home uh, after high school, um, I found a little bit of panic inside of my heart, wondering if we had prepared them for the big world that was coming. Had we taught them everything, so much so that we formed a program on Saturday mornings for our young Um, high school juniors and seniors, how to change a tire, how to jump start your car, how to manage a checkbook. Do you guys know what checkbooks are? Um, I still write everything in a ledger. I know young generation doesn't do that. 
So we did that program because there was a sense in all of us as parents who had kids that were moving on, a bit of a panic, like, you know, have we done enough? Have we done enough? In John's Gospel account, the author records a similar situation to what I felt and what others felt, where Jesus acknowledges that there's so much more for his followers to know. But unlike me, he doesn't seem worried. He doesn't seem panicked. There's no scramble in his soul. There's no Saturday morning program to be established. John 16, 12, where we read these words, I have so many things to say to you, said Jesus, but you cannot bear them now. You ever seen the movie A Few Good Men? How can you miss it, right? I mean, if you have cable TV, it's on every night, it seems like. Um, But there's one of the most powerful scenes in all of cinema for me is the courtroom scene. Jack Nicholson is playing Colonel Jessup and Tom Cruise, um, Daniel Caffey, and Caffey is naval judge, you know, lawyer, and he's grilling Jessup on the stand. And at one point, Cruz says to Colonel Jessup rather passionately, you know the line, right? I want the truth. To which Jessup responds with an even greater intensity, you can't handle the truth. Great scene. And Jesus is saying something similar, only without the intensity and the animosity. There's so much more for you to know, but you can't handle it yet. But again, no panic, no shaming on Jesus' part. How's that possible? How's it possible for Jesus to be so calm? We aren't left guessing, right? That's why we're here today. Jesus tells us straight up. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears He will speak and he will declare to you things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. By the way, is it just me or does it sound like there's some collaborative effort going on amidst the Trinity? I think that's incredible. Father, passing on to the Son, the Spirit taking what he hears from Jesus going on. Could we imagine that God is that personal that they're discussing how to best guide me or you at any given point? And might there, this was an image painted for me by a guy named Daryl Johnson, professor, might there be a fourth seat at the table for you or me to listen in on how to best move forward? I struggle to wrap my puny mind around that. (laughs) But Jesus seems to be implying something to that effect. But the answer to our question as to how Jesus could be so calm, unworried, unhurried, is because of what we celebrate today, Pentecost, the gift of the Spirit to the believer. In fact, this gift is so great that as has been indicated already, four or five verses prior to that, I, I think if, the, if you're a disciple at that point and Jesus said, hey, it's really good for me to leave, I don't think you'd be jumping up and down. <clears throat> really? <laughs> you're taking off? <laughs> it's a lonely world that we live in. But Jesus said, I've, I've got to go so that the helper can come. You know, only when we live shallow lives do we not need what the Spirit desires to give us. But to be partakers of the divine nature that we talked about last week, well, that requires divine assistance. 
And besides, if we truly understood what biblical strength is, it's actually, biblical strength is actually the willingness to admit one's weakness, but with an awareness of where to turn with it. In our world, strength is I don't ask for help anywhere, I just go it alone. I just trust my thinking. But that's not the biblical definition of strength. It's the, actually the willingness to admit that I need something other than myself outside of myself and then to know where to go. What I want to do with the remaining time is to highlight some ways that the Spirit of God is meant to be the helper that Jesus insists He is. I'd be, I'd be curious if we had the time if we went around the room and just asked the question, what is it about the Holy Spirit that most appeals to you or feels valuable to you? What would you say? Well, here's a few of mine. Here's the first. The Spirit of God is our, I wish I was really clever with words. I'd come up with a less long description. But he is a lie-detecting, truth-telling voice. John 8, speaking to a hostile audience, Jesus said, You are of your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. If you go back in time or go forward in time, we see the same thing. If you were to back up into the prophet Zechariah's book in chapter 3, there's a high priest, or there's a priest named Joshua, not of Moses' day, Joshua, but another Joshua, and he's standing in the presence of the angel of the Lord, and right there is Satan accusing him of all that he's done. Probably a mixture of truth and lies. And at one point, literally, God says to the angel, take his garment of Literally, the Hebrew word means excrement off of him and put on him a righteous robe. Well, if you go forward in time into the book of Revelation, we see something similar. Here's what we read. Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers, Satan, has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Ever hear lies in your ears? powerful lies that tend to guide how you live your life. Maybe you don't even recognize it. I told this story some time back, but I was so struck by the word delight and David's confidence that God delighted in him. And I was trying to think through that concept. And one morning, real early in the morning, 6.30 in the morning, driving to work, stopped at a traffic light. The Spirit of God revealed a truth to me about what guides my life that makes it really, really hard to sense God's delight. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He reveals what gets in the way of us understanding you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You are loved. There is no condemnation. Nothing can separate us. Wow, what a great chapter, Romans 8. Of course, there weren't chapter divisions in the original Bible. But Paul has sandwiched between... These two truths sandwich this chapter. One end, no condemnation. The other end, nothing separates us from God. Man, I don't feel that very often. And I drive to work some mornings reminding myself of that truth. That's what the Spirit of God does. And in that same chapter, Paul says, But all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fear, but you received the spirit 
of adoption as sons and daughters. When you doubt it, the Spirit is there to remind us of the truth. You are a child of God. That doesn't mean we deny the realities of our lives. It means all the more power that in light of the fact that I can look in the mirror and see all that's wrong, I remind myself, really? I'm a son of God? I'm loved? I'm forgiven? That's unbelievable. It doesn't work that way in this world. <laughs> Much. What a gift. That when doubt is deafening, when fear and failure are paralyzing, the voice of God intended to remind us of a great truth. <laughs> I just, I think, what a God. I said this last Sunday, but what a God who knew ahead of time what the enemy would, would do and to counteract that. He whispers lies. And God says, I will do one better. I will take my very spirit and put it inside in the depths of your being to speak truth to you, to remind you. Here's the second thing. Not only is he a truth-telling voice, he's our trustworthy guide. Jesus said those very words. Last Sunday we went back to Ezekiel chapter 36, and here's a verse. I will put my spirit in you, and a day down the road I will put my spirit in you. Pentecost! You know, we pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit here. Well, He's here. If you're a believer, He's here. He's in you. He's in me. He's already here. Incredible. But I'll put my Spirit in you, and He will move you. Do you know His voice? Do you know His nudges? Have you learned to really listen for His nudges? It's the Spirit's desire to point us in the right direction, Jesus would confirm this in John 16. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Old Testament story where Moses is told, God is upset, and Moses is told to lead the people. And Moses understands that this is a mighty, mighty large task that you're asking me. So if you're not going with me, which God said he wasn't because he was upset with people, then at least teach me your ways. I need to understand how to lead these people. And finally, God relents, and what's he say? My presence will go with you. My very presence. That presence came at Pentecost. That presence lives within me and you. That presence is the spirit of the love that exists between the Father and the Son now taking up permanent residence inside of me. Personal guide. I ask you something. If you were if you were dumped off in a wilderness with forest and canyons and you didn't have a clue, never been there, what would you want? What would you most want? Well, if you have a choice between a map, that'd be helpful, wouldn't it? Or a personal tour guide who knows the terrain and the landscape like the back of his hand. Which one are you choosing? It's pretty simple, isn't it? That's the Holy Spirit a personal tour guide to direct us in the wilderness we call life. Are we listening? Are we seeking? Here's the third reality that I want us to think about. When a young man and a young woman have spent a year and a half dating and uh, looking forward to the future, what is the young woman waiting for? 
Not a hard question, right? Derek's back there twiddling his finger for me. <laughs> What's she waiting for? Come on, say it. A ring. How many of you are wearing a ring of some sort? Right? What's the purpose of a ring? Even if it's not a marriage ring. What does it symbolize? It's something, some pledge, right? Something has happened in your life that marks you. That's what the Holy Spirit is. Can I say it like this? He's an engagement ring. <laughs> Did you know that? He's an engagement ring. Paul says it numerous times, symbolizing, and by the way, in the covenants in the Bible, it is God, the new covenant as well as the Mosaic covenant, it is, it is God, or the Abrahamic covenant, it is God who is the creator of the covenant. Usually a covenant is between two people, and if one party violates the covenant, it destroys the covenant. And that's true somewhat in marriage, but in the Bible, God is the only one who's making the covenant. I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. And listen to what he says. Here's Paul in Ephesians 1. I think we have it on the screen. In him, Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Your destiny, if you're in Christ, is guaranteed. <laughs> and to the believers at the church of Corinth, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. Boy, don't you feel like it's your responsibility to do that? <laughs> it's God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, a pledge guaranteeing what is to come. The Spirit is God's pledged promise of love and faithfulness to us to the end. This is God saying, I will follow through on what I have promised, even if you don't. <laughs> and every day, if we're honest, we don't, right? Every day, we're unfaithful in some form or fashion. But take a deep breath. Be reminded today. God has you. The older I get, Boy, I want to be just like that with God right there. <laughs> Is that getting better? <laughs> Every day I remind myself, man, I grew up so much thinking that faith was about what I'm doing with God. Now I'm more and more convinced that it's about what God is doing. And that helps me relax a little bit more. It helps me worship a little bit more freely. Here's the last thing, and it's really important that I want us to consider the Spirit is above all else. Not only is He a lie-detecting, truth-telling voice, not only is He a personal tour guide, not only is He an engagement ring to us, God's engagement ring to us, here's the last thing, that He is above all else a unifying force, a unifying energy. Think for a moment about who the Spirit is. His very existence is because of the aliveness and love that exists between the Father and the Son. He's the in-between in a sense of their love. Here's what C.S. Lewis, how he tried to describe this, and how do you describe something so mystical as the Trinity? 
But Lewis takes a shot at it, and I love it. He says, what grows out of the joint life of the father and the son is a real person, is in fact a third of three persons who are God. This third person is called in technical language the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of God. You must think of the third person as something inside of you, a spirit of love from all eternity, a love going on between the Father and the Son. He is the unifying energy. And so doesn't it just make sense that whatever his work is in this world, it is to unify. It is to bring us together. So as the Apostle Paul encourages us to live by the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit as he does in the book of Galatians, specifically chapter 5, we arrive at two lists. One list is comprised of not simply behaviors to avoid in our culture, but things that destroy or are a threat to social cohesion and the well-being of society and the well-being of relationships in the church. Things like acts of hostility or hatred, discord, jealousy, outburst of anger. Do we see these things as relational? <laughs> Selfish aggression, dissensions and factions, envy and the like. Instead, writes Paul, what the Spirit is about are things familiar to our ears, things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and so on. But what we sometimes fail to grasp that they're not just personal virtues. They are characteristics that are meant to enhance and maintain communal life. You know, driving down here this morning, I have to drive about 25 minutes, and I got behind somebody that was doing 35 on a 45, which means they should have been doing at least 50 or 55, right? And I found myself so impatient. And I thought, that's what I'm talking about today. This isn't just, oh, I don't like the fact that I'm patient or not patient. My impatience wanted to somehow attack a person in front of me in some form or fashion. I just about passed on a double yellow line. And then wanted to kind of glare at him as I drove by. That's destructive, even though I don't know the person. These things that the Spirit is working in our lives are relational love and peace. It isn't just, hey, I hope you have peace and feel better about yourself. No, I hope you work towards peace with the people in your life. These things are not hard or not easy to do, right? It's not easy to love. It's not easy to, to fight for peace. It's not always easy to be kind or to be patient. But this is what the Spirit's doing. This is who He is. He's this unifying force and energy living inside of us, trying to work for what God is all about because that's who God is, this community of indivisible oneness and love and perfect perfection and the spirit's not done until he brings us to that point which is heaven ultimately but his ongoing sanctifying work we live in such an individualistic culture Eugene Peterson wrote in a book I am not myself by myself God looked at Adam before sin had ever, ever entered the picture and said it's not good for you to be alone why? Because you're made in the image of God and who God is is a community. If we don't understand our faith in terms of relationship, then we don't get it. It isn't about what we know. It's about taking what we know and living it in relationship. And that's where it gets really, really, really hard, right? <laughs> that's why sometimes we'd rather just stay home, keep our distance, call it the church. 
How you doing? Great. See ya. That's it. And it's interesting that these very things mentioned in chapter 5 are then put on display in chapter 6 in relational context. Hey, be gentle with your brother who's fallen away. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Hey, bear one another's burdens. Be patient with one another. Love one another. Don't be just selfishly concerned for yourselves, but be generous to those in need. This is all chapter 6. All of this points back to Paul's understanding of what it means to be in Christ or to use his vernacular to fulfill the law of Christ, which he says at the beginning of chapter 5 is to love your neighbor as yourself. It's all about relationship. Paul truly understood what the Spirit's primary task is in the spiritual formation of the believer. It isn't to make us feel good about ourselves. It's to connect what's broken with each other and with our God. He is this unifying energy and force within us. So happy Pentecost Day. The day God gave to us the greatest gift for this long obedience in the same direction. A spirit who is a lie-detecting, truth-telling voice, who is our personal tour guide, our engagement ring securing a better day, and a unifying force whose sole purpose is to reconnect us to God and to each other. Let's pray. Every once in a while, Father, I get a glimpse of just a little glimpse of what you did before time. You could see over the whole, it's almost like being in an airplane, you could look over the entirety of time and see what was going to happen. And nothing unnerved you. Nothing undoes you, panics you. You had a countermeasure for every single thing that would transpire, starting with your son, Jesus, culminating in the gift that we celebrate today, your Holy Spirit. May we not get caught up in big and all the things that sometimes we want to think about with the Holy Spirit, and may we understand that you are a very personal voice living inside of us, a very personal force working to connect us back to the true source of life, you and to each other in the kind of harmony and oneness that exists within the Godhead. May we learn to listen for your subtle, often subtle nudges and voice. Humbly aware that our own voice sometimes gets in the way, our own desires, our own wants and demands. May we train ourselves to hear that voice that you've given to us for our well-being. Thank you. Thank you for this gift. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are inside of me and each follower of Christ. Pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.